0: Log Hope Radio.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. It's Marianne Rousseau. Um, I want to um let you know that we will be taking calls um, for this interview towards the end of the interview. And the call in number will be six four six five nine five two eight eight one if anybody would like to speak with Judd Ehrlich or Margaret Paddington. Um today I am just so excited. I was so fortunate to get a screening of this movie, Mayor of the West Side. And it is just outstanding. I mean, it's an outstanding film about the complex coming-of-age of, age of um, a teen, Mark um uh, with multiple developmental disabilities. And he is embraced and becomes a celebrity in his New York City community. Uh, filmmaker Judd Ehrlich uh, just did an incredible job. And Margaret Puttington, Mark's mother, um, also our guest, uh, she's just stoic. I mean, when you hear her speak and when you see this film... Um, you know, the strength that she's mustered is just incredible. Um, you know, it shows the bittersweet journey of the family um, and how everyone is affected by the by the disorder. This is an Emmy-nominated documentary, and I'm honored to have Judd Ehrlich and Margaret Puttington. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you are. You know, I did. I really enjoyed the film. I, you know, I was just saying before we went on the air, it, it was just, it's a powerful film, and it's, you know, very emotional, So, um, you know, I'm really curious to hear how it all came to be. So, Judd, how did you meet Mark, and how did this film um, unravel?
2: Well, after graduating college, I uh, was not uh, doing film at all, uh, although I went and saw a lot of movies. Um, And I was actually working um, as a social worker and a case worker in the city, and on the weekends I got a part time job with a with an agency called YAI, a National Institute for People with Disabilities. And I was matched with uh, Mark and I think at the time he was eleven or twelve, Margaret, it's I don't right? remember that sounds about right. <laughs> that was a long yeah. time ago. Yes. Um, well, he was young, right? And uh you know, I I mean, from the first visit, um I knew that there was something special going on here. Um, You know, I was born in New York. I lived there all my life. Um, But I walked around with Mark on the Upper West Side where he lives, and he knew everyone. Um, And everyone knew him and loved him um, in a really uh, remarkable way that seemed to sort of bring the neighborhood together. Um, And, um, you know, Mark doesn't speak he uses sign language to communicate so it sort of made everything uh all the more remarkable and um you know uh, several years into working with mark i i asked if i could start uh filming and really with the idea that this would be just sort of a neighborhood story um and maybe do just a very short video about it um and and as I started filming, Mark um, started to prepare for his bar mitzvah, and and the story grew, and I, I realized it was it was more than what I had started with, and and uh, it became a, a bigger endeavor, and worked on it for a long time, and um, and was lucky enough to have have the support of the entire Puddington family, Nicholas and Margaret and Arch. Um, all behind it and the community behind it and Mark's synagogue behind it um, so that everybody sort of opened up their lives to the process of making this film.
1: Well, you produced and directed it, correct?
2: Yeah, well, documentary is is a little bit different than making feature films. So it's, you know, usually you're dealing with crews of, you know, one, two, three people at the most mm-hmm. uh, instead of trailers. Right. Um, so you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it comes through, the love that you have for each other. Um, you know, it's just, just in his eyes it comes through. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Um, you know, Margaret, um, Mark is your oldest child.
0: No, my younger. Um, He's my You're younger.
1: Ch- your younger child. He's my younger son, uh, yeah. So what is Mark's diagnosis? And um, how... Um, you know how significant were his developmental delays very early on?
0: Well, we actually knew right away. We knew really pretty soon that something was wrong, because Mark was so different from the way our older son Nicholas had been um, just weeks and the and months into his life. Mark slept all the time. It was difficult to rouse him. He didn't really respond. Uh, there were there were odd things like he would throw himself back. He'd arch back with such strength that I could barely hold on to him. Um, but mostly it was that he was not responsive. And we asked his uh, pediatrician what was going on, and um, the pediatrician was very reticent to speak to, to. I don't. First of all, I don't know what he noticed but um, I, later on I found out he, he had put down a notation that Mark didn't cry after being vaccinated. Um, he sent us for a neurological consultation when Mark was five months old, and he told me that this was to check his eyes. And we arrived at the neurologist's and the neurologist said, well, that's one of the things I'm going to check, but I'm a neurologist. And, yeah, how um, odd. Right. Yes, well he was afraid to tell me the truth and this is this is uh, a theme that that um that came with this particular pediatrician. Um then when Mark was, was that 10, common back
1: then? Cuz Mark is in his 20s now, right? 30.
0: He's 30 now.
1: 30. Okay. Yeah. So was that was that the norm back then?
0: Um other people had much worse
1: Really other people controlled.
0: yeah other people were told you know not to expect anything from their child you know it, it wasn't so clear it wasn't the, it, you really couldn't tell he didn't have the stigmata that so, somebody with down syndrome has where it's obvious right from birth what's going on mm-hmm. we he could have been slow to develop and that was the hardest part actually of our entire lives was waiting to see what the outcome was going to be. We knew something was off, and we didn't really get a diagnosis until he was uh, a year old. But at 10 months, right. he had seizures, and he was in a hospi- In the hospital, um, and it turns out that it- the seizures came from a fever. Um, but uh, the neurologist... His formal diagnosis...
1: His- sorry? I'm sorry. I was going to say, but his formal diagnosis wound up being...
0: Cornelia's um, well- lang syndrome. Mm-hmm but that didn't come until a few years later. We just, we just, um, it was clear when he was a year old that he was lagging behind, and we didn't really have a name for it. We didn't have a syndrome at that time. Um, because of our older son, we wanted to find out what was going on with Mark so that, Nicholas could be reassured that when he grew up and had children himself that he wouldn't be at a great risk of having a child with disabilities. So we went to the um, Institute for Basic Research in Staten Island, which is a terrific uh, uh, diagnostic resource. And um, they said he had Cornelius-Lang syndrome. And um, I forget how old he was then. Say he was three or four and we went back to the neurologist, and he, we went over, we looked in the the manual, and Mark didn't have most of the features of Cornelia de Lange syndrome. Um, those include being born without a limb or a missing or an incomplete right. limb, and reflux, and um, very tiny, and severe medical problems. He didn't have those things,
1: so yeah, we didn't usually. That does have a lot of physical um, features, right?
0: Right, but it turns out there's a range in that, as there is with mm-hmm. everything else.
1: Everything else.
0: Yeah, so eventually I got a uh, um, a brochure from the Cornelia DeLange Syndrome Foundation. I don't remember how that came about, but I got one. And there were photographs of, well, these children that looked just like Mark.
1: Mhm.
0: There was the small lips and the, the eyebrows that meet in the middle and the underdeveloped jaw and a whole bunch of things. And um, so we reevaluated with the neurologist, and, and the neurologist really confirmed at that point that yes, he had Cornelia de Lange syndrome. But it wasn't helpful to know that, and and I think that's true for every diagnosis. You can't just go by the label. You have to look at what the child can and can't do, and what particular strength that particular person has, and what particular needs that particular, that a person has um it's very individual every disability is very individual
1: right and you know you know it, it, as you said you know a lot of parents get the gloom and doom and you know i think for some parents it just it defeats them and for other parents it just empowers them to prove them wrong
0: mhm well, these go through kids stages, are so though.
1: so different
0: yeah you f- you first are sad
1: oh um, you, absolutely
0: that's that's inevitable mhm um but you develop a love for your child and then nothing can stop you because you're determined to get
1: whatever is best for that child. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about um the years of educating um Mark because you know he he needed special education in a very big system.
0: Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, at the time um New York City had a separate special education district called district seventy five. That still exists, but I don't know um that it has the strengths it had when Mark was in it. Mm
2: -hmm. Those
0: were segregated classes. This is not politically correct. They were not least restrictive environment. They were segregated classes and segregated schools. And Mark did really, really well in that kind of setting. He had everything that he needed. He had physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and the one-on-one paraprofessional, because it was imperative to have somebody who could understand his signs and help him develop sign additional signs, because that's how he would communicate. Um, he had small classes, and um, he was safe in that environment. Right. And he was happy there. And
1: um, Yeah, I mean, you know, and you just, I mean, you became such... A fierce advocate, and I say that, you know, as a compliment, because uh, you you overcame immeasurable obstacles. Um, but you know, I think what was really endearing about the movie and about um, what you see in Mark's eyes for Judd is that he really, the entire neighborhood embraced him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, you know, there's such a sweetness and a kindness to Mark. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I couldn't help but think, you know, why do you think it was that Mark was able to break down that barrier with people when so many others with developmental delays and developmental disabilities are almost invisible in people's eyes? But Mark was just embraced.
0: Well, I, I mean, I'd love to take the credit for it, but I can't. That's his personality. He gets pleasure from interacting with other people. And, by the way, for a long time, for years, he said that Judd was his best friend, and it was true. For oh, all the absolutely. time that Judd was in Mark's life, um, it, he considered Judd his best friend. Um, but he does—he likes to make friends. He likes to, to sign to people and have them respond to him, and he can be very charming and very engaging. Even now that he's 30 years old, he still can do that. Um, but it's, it really is his personality. In the beginning, when he was very little, we had to work intensively with him. We had to be pretty much in his face for him to respond. And I think he loved that one-on-one attention, and he was determined to get it <laughs> as much I, as he could, any way he could. So I, well, I think that drove him, too.
1: Well, Judd, Jud, you must have felt that connection um, that you had, because it comes through. Uh, so, you know, how how was it when you finish the filming, Um, you know, it must have been very hard to separate yourselves.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I worked with Mark every weekend for about 10 years, and he was really a big part of my life, and um, it was really a wonderful, wonderful time. And, you know, it was wonderful also to be able to make the film and sort of document some of some of my time with Mark, um, and I, I think Mar- what Margaret says is you know exactly right that that people respond to Mark the way they do because he really has this personality that just he he, he you can't ignore him he's he's there and he's right right there and right with you and um, you know even though communication can be an issue sometimes, he's able to sort of bridge that with people. Um, right. right, And, you know, Incredible. in a place like New York, it's really it's really great to see because there are so many different kinds of people. And, um, you know, so it's... it's but, you, it's, you know, I think
1: that, you know, and, and it's funny because when I was um, watching it, I was thinking just the opposite. I was thinking this could only happen in New York. You know, if you're in New York, we're the three of us are New Yorkers, and I mean, there's just that—I don't know. There's just that beat to the city. I don't know what it is, but I mean, when you see the movie and you see the the, you know, the baker and the butcher and, you know, everyone on the street, just you know, it's it's just like I said. It, you know, it's a very powerful movie. Now, you know, Margaret, much of the movie involves Mark preparing to make his bar mitzvah, as Judd had said earlier. Right. Um, why was this so important to you? Um, because I mean, it took tremendous amount of work with a lot of people. Right. So why don't you go into it a little bit? It was actually
0: the best one of the best experiences of our whole lives. Right. I wanted Mark to be part of the community, and I wanted it for him, but I wanted it for them. I wanted the rest of the community. The, our synagogue is very large; it's over I don't know, maybe a couple of thousand members now, and I wanted him to be accepted in the community, as a person. And I wanted him to be seen as a person with value in his own right. And that was why I did it. I mean, I could have chosen to do a small uh, a morning service or a late afternoon service that might have been more comfortable for him, but I didn't want to. I really wanted the whole community to see him. And they were so touched by him. Um, he was very nervous, but he said it was the best day of his whole life,
1: oh, um, but, and
0: it was. It was. It was wonderful.
1: And for you, for you also. I mean, you know, it was a very frustrating experience. You know, I mean that that comes through. Um, you know, this was no easy task.
0: Well, um, it was frustrating. It was hard. Right. It, it, um, we were very, very lucky to find a wonderful person who continues to be our dearest friend. Um, Her name is Meryl Feinstein, and she was a teacher at um, a religious school and was a member of the congregation, and she agreed to be Mark's teacher, and she met with him and me every week for about three years, and we didn't know what we could expect from this. We didn't know how much Mark was going to be able to understand, and... um, She's a very gifted teacher, and she used all kinds of multisensory approaches that were very successful, and um, Mark also uses facilitated communication, which means that he spells out words on a letter board. Mm-hmm. It's just its a miraculous thing. Absolutely. He, um, with a little bit of support from from me, where I don't move his hand, I just help him to stabilize himself. Right. he can he can actually go letter by letter and spell out what he wants to say. So w- what we did was he worked with Merrill first and she would explain concepts, holidays, important religious ideas and discuss things that that she had a way of making personal in his life. Um and then I would come in later And he would say on the letter board what he had learned. And and we did this for three years, and he really learned a lot of things. We were very surprised at what he was able to accomplish.
1: It is shocking what's in there, right? And they did have such a hard time getting it out.
0: Really, really. And that's true. That's true. There's a lot in there. Mark Mark knows a lot, understands a lot. But communication is really an issue, which I believe it is for everybody. And for any parents who are listening out there, um, I think... Maybe the biggest lesson is always assume confidence in your child, the fact that they can't express themselves or um, they may even look like they're not paying attention. Um, just always assume that your child understands everything. It can't yep. be wrong to do. It can only be right. It's not a mistake. If the, If he doesn't understand this or that, you've lost nothing. But if he does understand, you know, you're giving him dignity and you're giving him the possibility of
1: reaching higher. So Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, you know, also Mark's brother Nicholas is in the film. Yes. And, um, you know, he was he's very sweet with him. But, you know, how difficult was it for him having a disabled brother and having so much of your time and your husband's time, you know, dedicated to Mark, and there were illnesses. I mean, you had an illness. Your husband had an illness. You had so much going on for the whole family. Um, you know, how did you balance it?
0: Well, I think that it was extremely hard for Nicholas. Um, I don't envy what he had to go through, because there were always crises. There was always something going on, yeah. whether it was the bus or the school placement or the therapist or whatever. It was always a crisis, and um, there was a lot of tension in the house because of that, because um, I am not a calm person, and um, I deal with things by kind of butting them head first. Um but Nicholas is now 32 years old, and he has become such a wonderful person. He, when when he was younger and he was in school, he was kind of embarrassed by Mark, and we respected his feelings. So we wouldn't bring him to a school event or something like that if he, if he said he didn't want us to. But now, you know, he sees him on the street, he gives him a giant hug, he swings mm. him around,
1: <laughs> he, you know,
0: he takes him over to visit him at his house. Um, he has a terrific relationship with Mark now.
1: Um, and it was
0: a long time coming.
1: Yeah, I but, mean, you know, these kids have to... You, I, I say it all the time for these siblings. You have to respect the fact that they're going to be angry and they're going to be resentful because they don't have the happy-go-lucky lives
0: Right. Unless, you know, their right.
1: friends have.
0: And actually, you, you could see in the film, Nick, there were times when um, Nicholas said, you know... um, just because Mark has a disability doesn't mean he should be given everything. And it was true; he was right that we, you know, he had better sense about some of the, the uh, child rearing practices going on around mm-hmm. here than we did. He had a, he had a really good sense because well, he the could he justice of it.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you know he had the, that the siblings, you know, they had their own emotions and struggles. But, you know, they don't have the fear. And, you know, that's what really I think is so, and it's just embedded in us. You know, they say that um, parents of special needs or disabled children have cortisol levels higher than um, war veterans um, because we're in a constant, like you said, a constant state of crisis. And, you know, what really was so powerful for me in this film, because I think every parent, that has a disabled child has this fear of what will happen when i'm gone and you know you say in in the film i'd rather take him with me and i don't know a parent that hasn't said it mm-hmm. and you know how what was that emotion like for you because i mean i i don't I, I am not in your shoes you know thank god my you know i don't have a child with this type of a disability but how do you how do you live with that how did you get through it um, for many years I got through it by repressing it. I
0: just I would not face the future. And actually Judd was the person who helped me the most with it. Because finally he said to me and this was after this was after a long time and I was by this time already a parent advocate and I worked with a lot of different parents and Judd said to me, Well, what would you tell other parents? to do in your situation, because by this time I had had a heart attack, it was clear I had to make plans for Mark, right. and I responded, I mean, I've I seen myself in the film, responding so strongly and with so much emotion and, and sort of righteousness, that it's the parent's responsibility to make these arrangements and make these plans because their child is depending on them to do it, and it's wrong to, to wait because you can't face it, then you're not living up to your responsibility for your child. Um, so he really helped me a lot because he, he forced me to to really think hard about this.
1: Judd, how did you, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Judd, how did you, you know, because I think that a, a parent watching it can really relate. But you at that point weren't a parent and you weren't a parent of, you know, a child with a disability. So, you know, how, what was your thinking and your perception of um, of that fear for Margaret?
2: Right. Well, you know, I think, you know, I guess it's the, the perception of, of somebody who is very close to the family but has the ability to be outside of the family, which sometimes gives you, you know, of... of a vantage point to see what's going on and and I knew how tough this was for margaret um and for Arch and for nicholas um and for all of them, and you know I was the last person who wanted to push in any direction, but you know at the same time, it's so great to hear from Margaret that you know some a question that I asked may have sent her on a path or the fact that she was able to see herself, something that she said Mm -hmm. um, played back to her, that that helped her move her in that direction. Because I think at that point, you know, it was something that that I think that Margaret knew in her heart of hearts too, and that she knew it had to happen, but she needed a nudge. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And, you know,
1: I know that, you know, I can remember I couldn't sleep at night. And I used to tell my husband, how could we not have an, an estate drawn up? You know, how can we not have a will? We have four children, you know. And, you know, I think he just thinks, you know, we're going to live forever. But um, it is so important, you know. And, and it is such such a load off of your mind when you do have estate planning, when you do have a will, when you do have things set in place. It's just It's just a real comfort you know, to a parent, and whether you're a parent of special needs child or your child is neurotypical. I mean it just is such an important thing to do. Um but you know it's how it's not I, always
0: a comfort. It's not always easy. When we when we did no. our will it was not easy. Because no. at that time Nicholas was younger and we didn't want to saddle him with guardianship. We didn't we didn't want to do that to him. Right. And I remember sitting in the lawyer's office crying that there was no one but us.
1: Right. And that's, you but know, what that...
0: finally happened was as Nicholas got older, he said, of course he wanted to be Mark's guardian. And <laughs> actually he and I sat in the restaurant crying together. Yeah. Um, and we changed the will, and now he's the standby guardian. But if you don't have things in place and if you don't, if you don't have other people in your life who are willing to take responsibility, it is not a pleasant
1: process. No, it's not. But it's something that has to be done. Yeah. You know, it's not pleasant. I'm fortunate, like you, I have an older daughter, and you know, my daughter, like I said, you know, it's a different, completely different situation. But um, you know, it's just I really, I so admire you because I think that you know, you can look at this this film with you know different sets of eyes, and you can look at it and say, you know, what was Margaret thinking? Um, you know, I mean, this was just she had so much, um, expe- so many expectations. And as a parent, you know, looking at it through my eyes, I was like, I just had such admiration for you, because um, you did. You know, you gave Mark the not only a quality of life, but respect that he deserved. And you know, really, I applaud you for that because Thank it, it just really came through. Well, the but, hard,
0: the hard part was thinking about him in other people's hands, him being cared for by other people. Right. The residential piece of it was the most difficult. But now he is in a, a small group home that we developed, especially for him, with a terrific agency, the same one, Young Adult Institute. And he is so happy. Oh. I was so wrong to be worried. He loves his life. Oh, he that's has great. four housemates. They all have their own bedrooms.
1: How did you do that? How did you arrange that? Well, Because I know you had some legal issues involved here. Right. Because well, the, civil the rights agency issues.
0: was the agency was very willing to work uh with us. I really wanted a small home for him. And we were very careful to choose people who would be compatible since with him this um social interaction is the key to his happiness. And that's the way right. it is now. He's he he loves being there. He, he finds it much more stimulating than being home with us, who are boring. Um but um I worked to find the The apartments, there are two apartments that we put together, and it was in a condo. And everything was fine. The sellers were going to sell to us. We were going to buy. We had all kinds of um, state limitations that we were able to meet, state requirements in terms of the cost and various other things about the physical uh, layout. So we were finally surmounting all of these obstacles, which took a long time. It took maybe a year and a half. And the condo um, tried to keep us out. They, ex- want, they tried to exercise their right of first refusal, which means that they could right. purchase the um, apartments themselves out from under us. Um, but you would do that, I mean, the kind of this situation where that's, Maybe warranted is if you know you're afraid that the people, are, you know, the prospective buyers are rock stars and there's going to be loud music all the time, or there's celebrities and there's going to be paparazzi all over the place all the time. But we were not a nuisance; we're just people, right. and only five. So, you know, the law the law says that if a, a small group home is not going to change the character of a neighborhood, it must be allowed to. Uh, be accepted and these people wouldn't accept it and the agency um, sued them and we had a judge from heaven and we won the judge knew exactly what was going on that they were trying to keep us out mm-hmm. and um, we it was federal court because it was a civil rights um, absolutely hau- a, a housing rights civil rights violation so we mm-hmm. did win
1: and I'm just so happy he's happy uh, I mean, because when you watch this film, that's, that's all you want. You just want, because he's so happy, that you just want him to continue to be happy. Right. And, um, you know, you know, we're going to have to wrap up now, but I just want to ask you, because, you know, what you've accomplished is incredible. And, um, you know, first I want to ask you, do you still, um, are you still a parent advocate? Oh, yes. And it's, how can a parent, I how can a parent contact you?
0: Well, um, any parent in New York State can um contact me by email it's uh marg for margaret m a r g p u d d and then number two at
1: a o l dot com
2: okay
1: i am definitely going to make sure that that gets put on my resource list okay um you know but i want to ask you you know How do we change the perception of adults and teens with developmental disabilities and teach them, I mean, if they have the ability to self-advocate? And, you know, how do we protect their civil rights? I mean, I'm asking you to advise parents that have teens that are going to be transitioning. Right. Well,
0: it's, it's difficult. You have to first figure out which of various options is the, uh, the right one for your child. Um, in New York State, we have a lot of options. We have a very good service system. Right. Um, and there are many choices. And You know, it could be something protected and sheltered, or it could be competitive employment, depending on where the child is at that time, you know, what the capabilities are and what the interests are and everything. Right. So... Um, You have to know the service system. You have to be aggressive about it.
1: And you have to become educated.
0: Yes, absolutely. Very educated very quickly. Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, I'm proud to know you. I was just so, you know, so impressed with this and, you know, everything that you've done. And Judd, you know, obviously I loved the film. So, you know, what can we expect from you? What have you got coming out?
2: Um, Well, working on a a few projects um, and... uh, Yeah, you can can go to my website, flatbushpictures.com or Brooklyn Film Networks and uh, see some of the projects. I I would just say that if people are interested in getting the film, um, they can go to um, fanlight.com. Fanlight distributes the film or they can call um, 800-876-1710. And um, I'm told that if they mention... This program they'll get a special discount on them. Oh, I
1: wish you would have told me that. Okay, well I'll <laughs> definitely I'll definitely post that for you. Sure.
2: Um
1: again, it was uh, I'm just thrilled that you could both come on and uh Mayor of the West Side is just it's just outstanding. Um, you know what what both of you have done and um you know how you've portrayed it in just such an honest way is just incredible. So I thank you for joining me.
2: Thank, thank you. you. Thanks
1: so much. You're very welcome. Um Wednesday night? My guest is Mike Royce, the creator, producer, writer for Men of a Certain Age, and um, did Everybody Loves Raymond. And he's coming on for two reasons. Um, Number one, it is my favorite show. Um, Number two, when the show first started, within a few episodes, it took on a child anxiety storyline. And, you know, that's who I am on Twitter, I'm child anxiety, and it was done so well that um it just floored me. And um, I actually wrote a review about it and as it turns out, Mike Royce is coming on and we're going to be discussing um that the storyline, how it came to be because it is just fantastic and also how this is just such a funny, sexy, intelligent show that I think everybody would just love. You're going to get hooked once you watch some of the um some of the episodes that I'm posting, you will be hooked. So Monday, Mike Royce And then on Sunday night, we have Joel Yanofsky coming on. He is the author of Bad Animals, The Unexpected Education um, in Autism. He has an autistic son. Um, He is the author of Jacob's Ladder, and he's a very very well-known author. So that's Sunday night. As I end the show every day, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here at the Coffee Clutch. Thank you for joining us.